HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Our master cheesemaker program is one of the only two in the world. So it's no wonder every master in America has called Wisconsin home. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. Dun dun, dun dun, welcome to Life is Fucking Bullshit, a podcast about poison with your hosts, me, a spooky ghost, and me, a friendly ghost. Oh, a little Casper action over there in Indiana? Uh, nope, just a different ghost that's also friendly, like a helpful A different ghost, ghost altogether? Yeah, like Slimer in... The cartoon version of Ghostbusters, where he's like a team member, not like trying to slime them. I don't remember that, but regardless, it's a pleasure to have you. We are having a rocky start. We had a rocky start before the show. Clearly, it's still happening. Um, we, yeah, we had technical issues. Just to add insult to injury of the day. Nicole, how are you? I'm fine. Okay, great. I'm bad. Oh, okay. Well, I feel <laughs> fine. I had a fun day where I went to like the north side of town where only one listener, Kelly, will know where I'm talking about. Uh, Carmel, Indiana, which is like a weird, it's like a rich part of town, but it's been there for a long time. So they have like their own like old timey Main Street. Ooh, I went to some haunted? antique stores and they were not haunted, but they were haunted by really high prices, I guess. I was haunted by them. <laughs> You're still haunted by how like there was a freaking a vintage cookie jar, like just like random, like not like specifically made by a certain type of person or like whatever. And it was seventy five dollars. How dare they? Who has like, that kind of disposable income? Who's like searching around for deals? You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, this I guess this is my own fault for going to the Carmel Antique Store, but I just thought that they would have like reasonable to New York prices. You know, right. Yeah. But they were well, like New York to like shockingly hype, like a $750 dresser. I had that same experience actually when I drove down the scenic route going from visiting you in Indianapolis to my brother in Columbus. Oh, right. Cause you were going to go to that thrift or that antiques area. There, there's <laughs> an antique area. It is, the whole area is very dusty, lots of whites and very high priced antiques. May I say, I think that like, 
there was quilts. There's like, oh, fabulous. I'll get a quilt. I've been meaning to have like a dusty old quilt with someone's like, you know, old sweat stains and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. bad memories just soaked into it. And um, the quilts were like 500 bucks. I was like, who well, the fuck's coming here? Well, quilts are, have always been very expensive. Like Notoriously. Never, there, I don't think there was ever a time even in like the 80s where you could just wander into an antique store and get a mink stole for a dollar. <laughs> That's true, but a quilt is $300. All right, here's my next question. Have you ever seen the movie How to How to Make an American Quilt? I have seen that movie, and I tried to rewatch it probably during COVID when we just, like, really ran out of stuff to watch. Um, mm-hmm. And all I know is it's extremely boring. There's, like, one token black person, and my owner writer has on really cute jean shorts. Mm. Anyway. Yeah, she's got a cute pixie cut in that one too. Yeah. She looks good with that pixie cut, that one in a rider, huh? But it's like super boring. It's terrible. I mean, as you would assume a movie about making a quilt would be. <laughs> it's like about it's like the sisterhood of the traveling or no, it's like the what's the one I always think is the sisterhood of the traveling the Yaya yeah, yeah sisterhood. It's like that movie, but way more boring. Right. And not to be confused with Sister Act or Sister Act 2, which is not boring at all, but still has the name sister in the title. Yeah. Great movie. And not to be confused with Sister Sister, the sitcom starring Tia and Tamara. Or Twisted Sister, your favorite band. <laughs> <laughs> the America's Sweetheart, Dee Snyder. Um, um, wait, yeah, that reminds me though. I think that, so, oh wait, is it not? Well, I think I watched Flight of the Navigator, which is an old movie from the 80s that was on like of course. Disney Saturday night, Sunday night movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sarah Jessica Parker is in it. Right, 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 right. And she plays, like, the cool person who also works for NASA, confusingly. Like, I guess if NASA is, like, the big employer in your town, everyone just works there, question mark. Um, but, so she's, like, got pink hair, and he's, like, you know, he went missing in the 70s, so he doesn't know about the 80s. And he was, like, what's wrong with your hair? And she's, like, oh, I went to a Twisted Sister concert last night. <laughs> um, and you loved it. You were, like, yeah, my guys. <laughs> Yeah, well, that always stuck with me because I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Because when that movie came out, I was like six um, yeah. or eight or something. I don't know. Um, you were 68. And I was like, yeah, she seems cool. And that's all. I never went to Twisted Sister. I never listened to Twisted Sister. Never really followed through. I know. I couldn't tell you a single or married Twisted Sister song. <laughs> we're not going to take it. Is that them? Sure. You know what? It doesn't matter because us two, we're not going to take it anymore, folks. Have you have you heard the memo? We're not going to take it. So stop giving it because we don't want it. I think a Nicole? memo is red. Or I guess you could have a voice memo. Yeah, we've sent it out. Um, so anyway, since you asked, I had a fabulous weekend um, with my family. Uh, it was my stepfather's 70th birthday. We whined, we dined, we laughed a lot. It was very fun. Um Bittersweet, turning 70, you know, you start to see your your parents make some changes and that's a weird feeling, but it was very lovely and we had a great time. And I made chocolate cake and I got really stoned. You know that I don't really tend to smoke very much of the pot, Mm -hmm. but um, my stepdad likes it. So he gave me some pot to do uh, (laughs) right before we cut the cake. And I made this like very rich chocolate fudge cake. Like a sheet cake or what are we talking about? A sheet cake. It was like... Um, an espresso, olive oil, like black cocoa cake oh, covered yeah. in black oh, cocoa fudge I've frosting. Seen that. It's black, like literally black. It's 
it's like pitch black and it's delicious, but it's very rich in the words of every woman that was there. But like, it's very rich. And Ryan was there helping me like put the party on. And, um, I started cutting like the biggest pieces of cake and like giving them out. And I realized something that like really kind of annoys me about at least in American culture. I'm not sure if they do this worldwide, (laughs) but like when you serve a big piece of cake, people are like, Oh no, I couldn't. Like, this is so rich. Give me a smaller piece. And it's like, I understand, like, not wanting to waste food, but, like, you don't have to eat the whole piece. You know what I mean? Especially if the person, me, made the cake and was very high and (laughs) emotional when they were cutting it. Like, give them a break, you know? And then people started cutting pieces off of their piece and, like, putting it back on the cake plate. And I was just, like, (laughs) almost left. Yeah, well, you were just getting paranoid. Uh, But, yeah, I feel like you do cut really big pieces. That was like more of like a small chunk of cake, you know, like the French yeah. small portions, portion control. Totally. And I'm, I'm, French I'm aware. Cut, you know? I, I'm aware I made the pieces too big and I made an announcement to the group. I said, guys, <laughs> I'm high. Just like all the rest of you. I'm sorry. I made this fucking piece of cake so big, but right. just relax. I'm not used to being high and you guys are cause you're all old. It's hilarious. My mom was like, uh, I didn't know what was wrong with your uncle Dave. Like the whole night he was just like look, looking so funny. And like, I thought maybe he wasn't <clears throat> having a good time. And then I realized he was just whacked out of his, out of his gourd. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's true. It was so cute. It was very sweet and very cute though. Yeah, we had a great I time. Get that high, but like, or even like a little bit high without repercussions. I, I don't even know if I talked about this on the podcast already, but who cares? Um, I recently bought some weed gummies from a legal place in mm-hmm. Illinois and um, I wouldn't use them to sleep. So it was like indica, you know, and I was like, this is great. It'll help me sleep. And it does help me fall asleep. But as soon as it wears off, I wake up like <laughs> completely awake with my mind racing as though <laughs> I had never taken the gummy at all. So it's like, it's crazy. It just like, it like shuts me down for a little bit, but like, mm-hmm. It, it doesn't, and then I wake up and I'm so, I can't go back to sleep. So it's like, I get like an hour of sleep and then I wake up and it's like, and my coworker's like, oh yeah, it's because you're taking drugs to fall asleep. You should only take like natural things. And I'm like, weed is natural. That is natural. It's you fucking ears. asshole. <laughs> um, so yeah, it doesn't work for me even in that regard, which is really frustrating. Cause that kind of happens to me too. Gummies. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, when my parents would buy me gummies and stuff, I would like nibble them before I went to bed. And then I'd find myself like down some kind of Google rabbit hole. I think I sold the story in the podcast, but I, I remember like searching for like uh, John Cena's like new <laughs> girlfriend's background or something like where she was from. <laughs> I was like, I don't fucking even. Who like, is she? He, she doesn't deserve him. I was like, how does this bitch end up with John Cena? What the hell? Um, I mean, I don't I don't barely even know John Cena. Yeah, you know? I'm saying. I just think that it's nice that he, <laughs> he can find suits that are big enough for his arms to fit into them. That's true. He's lucky. But um, you're probably bespoke. But I also think I found so I got another set of gummies. While I was there. That's like the other kind. That's not indica. Sativa. There you go. And those are actually pretty fun. Which I had not because I take I just take a half of one, so it's like two point five milligrams, which is a very low dose, and everyone will make fun of me. But um. Those ones, I can't really tell that I'm high per se, but I feel like fun and chilled out and like can do stuff around the house. 
That's good. I have to be honest. Like I used to smoke so much weed. That's not what I'm being honest about. (laughs) Everybody knows that. But like when I was in high school and like early years of college, but like smoking weed, like, I don't know. I don't like feeling on, like if I get drunk or even back in the day when I used to do cocaine or whatever, like I didn't feel like on a different like level. Like I was like, I'm still in the world. I'm just excited. And I want to tell everyone about my favorite book and try to give it away to them. Or like when I'm drunk, I'm still like, I'm me. But something about like getting high now, I just feel like out of my body, like yeah, in this not, way where I, I, I don't can't like treat, it either. And yeah, also, like, you do build up a tolerance, though. Like, if you smoke a ton of it, then it becomes, like, right. normal. But, like, when I went to the amusement park with my coworkers in August, one of my coworkers took a 100-milligram <gasps> edible. Oh, my God. What I, happened? Are they alive? Yeah, because he, he smokes weed so much. Like, for him, I mean, even that for him, though, he was just, like, nonverbal for, like, the first four hours that we were there. He was just, Perfect. like, with us, hanging out. If we if we tried to talk to him, he would slowly respond. Uh-huh. Um, and he was riding roller coasters. I mean, that sounds like time. a fun day for him. And I was just like, I think two point five milligrams, and I'm a little bit wonky. If a hundred milligram, I would perish. I would have to go to the mental institution. <laughs> <laughs> Me as well. Me as well. I would like not even. I can't even. Even thinking of it, I'm actually literally itching my arm. I want to tell you one more very funny thing before we start which is that when my computer wasn't working just now, we were late to this recording by, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes because I was having an issue with my computer. It was saying like, your whatever bullshit isn't secure when I went to certain websites. And when I went to Wikipedia, it was like, your connection isn't secure. And I was like, all right, well, let me check it if I go to a different Google, a different Wikipedia thing. So for some reason, unknown to myself or anyone else, the thing I decided to search for on Wikipedia was Clive Owen. It's because it's Halloween. I typed in Clive. What does Clive Owen have to do with Halloween? I don't Not know. Clive Barker. Oh, Clive, hey, Owen, Clive the, Barker. The mm-hmm. British heartthrob. Oh, the star of um, the, what is, what, everyone's blind. Oh, what the fuck is that movie? That is Steven Soderbergh movie. What the fuck is that movie? I, I can't remember what it's called. But anyway, yes, I, for some reason, I typed in Clive Owen, and then I went to the Wikipedia. It didn't work. But then I did go to his IMDb page. It did work. Unfortunately, I didn't look up what movies he'd done. Otherwise, I could answer your question. <laughs> it's like so, God's own country. Oh, Children of Men. Okay. <laughs> God's, God's own, own country. country. You're like thinking no different. country for old men. No, God's own country is its own movie, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I don't know that film. I did get... Oh, yeah. Unusually drunk for myself last night alone. Okay, well, first of all, I just want you to know that God's Own Country is a movie that was made in 2017. (laughs) Okay, well, (laughs) great. Congratulations. I really don't care. Um, I got really drunk last night by myself. Don't normally do that. So drunk that I had a bad hangover today. And I watched um, Annie Hall and Husbands and Wives in Manhattan. (laughs) And I woke up like... Feeling more neurotic than usual, if that's possible. Husbands and Wives is the one where the friends get divorced and it makes them question their whole marriage, right? Exactly. And then Woody Allen somehow starts having an affair with Juliette Lewis, who's super hot and 20 and for some reason, like, wants to fuck Woody Allen, of all people. I mean, come on. Well, every movie is a movie where we're supposed to assume that everyone wants to fuck Woody Allen. But um, that movie is depressing because the reason why that they break up is because they have a sexual problem, as they call it in Annie Hall. And then they get back together after they become jealous of each other having 
other partners and then they say at the end that they're still not having sex and that makes me depressed i know it's sad it is, it is sad but um sydney pollock isn't it uh acclaimed director sometimes actor love him he's amazing it was great I mean, I, I've seen that movie a million times, but I had a great old, great old time by myself watching three Woody Allen movies. If you have a problem with that, guess what? I don't care. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, we're technically contributing money to Woody Allen's estate by watching these films. Um, which is That's wrong. fine. I've been stealing from Woody Allen for years. I go into his house every night. I take back every penny that I've put forth from watching his movies on Amazon.com. Yeah, it's hard. I, I also really like his movies. I really like to watch Interior. It's so depressing, but there's something about it that I think is so fascinating. I just like, I like to watch rich people in trouble, which is I like Wes Anderson movies. I know, and I'm very excited for his new movies coming out this week. I also love Hannah and her sisters. That one's funny. Cause oh, it, Hannah and her sisters is great. Michael Caine almost looks hot in that movie. always wonders if, because um, what's her name? His wife, or not wife, but mother of some of his children. Mia Farrow? Mia Farrow had a sister, or has like more than one sister, but like a sexy, like hot sister, even though she's so oh, beautiful. Really? And... Um, there's something that I was, I was going through something and there's like somebody, Woody Allen was like the, the pretty sister or whatever. And I was like, I wonder if he actually did have an affair or wanted to have an affair with her, his. Of course he did. He ended up having an affair with her daughter. I'm sure he would have had no problem fucking her sister. Yeah. So I'm just like, I with Hannah and her sisters. I'm just wondering because Mia Farrow plays his wife in that. And then. It's just like, well, it's Michael Caine and not Woody Allen. But, um, right. yeah, I don't know. I, part of me is always like, did you actually do this? Uh, I'm sure. And then it's there's a also real... the scene in Interiors where the husband of Annie Diane Hall, yeah. Diane Keaton, like basically tries to rape her little sister in the garage. I know. And that that's really fucked up. up. Anyway, whatever. All right. <laughs> I well, love, guys, I love that movie because <laughs> I love rape scenes. Love um, a good rape scene in a movie, am I right? Yeah, I mean, that's she what you're here for. Without getting raped, so it's fine. It's totally fine. Also, spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert! If anyone is really waiting to see what happens in the Godard tribute uh, into your ears, should uh, we get into this episode? What do you think? Well, no, because we have to talk oh. about Benifer. Oh, right, of course. Sorry, but there is no news except for this misleading article says Ben Affleck finally breaks his silence about reconnecting with Jennifer Lopez, right? Yeah, sure. What do you say? Well, the thing is, is as we already know from last week or maybe a couple weeks ago, he already talked about her and her being so proud of her global impact. So that to me oh, is right. Because <laughs> she's traveled to Italy recently. Uh-huh. And yeah. So um, they to them, him breaking his silence about the reuniting of them is I I am so lucky and so grateful and I'm this is a very happy time of my life wow amazing so that you get a Pulitzer Prize. what this article made me read an entire article about because <laughs> they lied hello magazine those liars I can't believe it yeah so just so you guys know all is well with Ben Affleck if he's so happy, why is he still fucking smoking? What are you That's talking about? He's a recovering alcoholic. He can still smoke. All right, fine. I don't know why All you're right. giving him shit about smoking. You smoke. I know, but only when I'm upset. So that's what well, I'm that's, saying. He's the happiest time of his life. He's smoking cigarettes. I don't get some it. Some people smoke when they're happy. Then not everyone's experience of cigarette smoking is your experience. 
Well, I'm an extreme narcissist, so I can't <laughs> see that as a possibility. <laughs> okay, and that right. is a great segue into our topic, which is poisonous foods. Yeah! Um, and I'm going to start. I got my information from two excellent articles titled 16 Foods You Never Knew Could Kill You on Delish.com <laughs> and Deadly Foods or Kitchen Folklore by AllRecipes.com. Oh my God, I can't wait. AllRecipes.com wrote the article, not a person. Okay. So I have here um, a list of foods that are normal foods that you eat every day, but they can kill you. So this is a fear-mongering episode, okay? <laughs> Um, number one, get ready. Oh, it's I'm ready. Rhubarb leaves. I knew it. <laughs> uh, Sneaky. Regular old rhubarb all day long if you want to. Uh, well, I mean, probably only when it's in season. I guess you can eat it all day long. Who knows? Um, but if you try to eat the leaves, you should be careful because they contain oxalic acid which is the active ingredient in Barkeeper's Friend. <laughs> oh, my God. If uh, anyone doesn't know, Barkeeper's Friend is something that they use a lot. we use a lot in restaurants and obviously bars, but, like, you probably have seen it, can use it at home. If you, like, can't get rust or, like, crap out of something, you put Barkeeper's Friend on it and it gets mm-hmm. it off. Yeah. Um, so if you consume too much oxalic acid, it can lead to hyperoxaluria. I don't know. That's not right. Which is excess oxalate is excreted from your urine. So yeah. basically, that doesn't sound too scary, but what essentially can happen if you keep eating rhubarb leaves, <laughs> then eventually calcium oxalate crystals will accumulate in your organs, making them hard and crunchy, and then you will die. <laughs> I mean, like, has somebody ever done this? Has anyone ever nibbled into a super sour, super, like, sinewy, fibrous rhubarb leaf? I mean, like... <laughs> People eat kale, Zara, okay? And kidney stones and kidney failure and death are also possibilities. However, uh, 15 to 30 grams is a lethal dose. So in order to get to that level, if you really want to commit suicide by rhubarb leaf, you have to eat 11 pounds of them. Wow. (laughs) That seems plausible. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Join my new diet. All you have to do is eat the equivalent of a newborn baby's weight (laughs) i just want to mention that like you know commercially bought rhubarb whether you buy it at the store or the farmer's market never comes with the leaves so you need to go directly to the source or grow it yourself to make this possibility yeah exactly and that is how farmers of rhubarb tend to die by suicide (laughs) yes eating tons and tons of sour sour stringy rhubarb leaves Mm -hmm. yep they probably massage it into a Caesar salad. <laughs> the world's biggest Caesar salad. It's <laughs> 11 pounds. Um, okay, so beware. Fire beware. Spring is just around the corner, and that's when rhubarb comes. Oh, wait, is it summer? I don't really know when it It's occurs. spring. Okay, great. It's the first sign of spring. Okay, number two. Hidden in plain sight. Huge danger. Cherry pits. Ah! They are super dangerous. Because they contain cyanide. Well, that's no good. So in order to actually get the cyanide, though, they have to be crushed. You need to crush them before you eat them. And depending on your human body weight, 
roughly 30 crushed cherry pits can potentially kill you. I'm going to interject here with a question, Nicole. Um, how do we explain maraschino then? Because isn't that made from cherry pits? I don't know. Like maraschino liqueur, I believe is made from cherry pits. Well, if you don't crush it. Oh, if you don't crush it, you won't get it. Got it. Although who okay. knows? If you put liquor on it, wouldn't it leach out all the stuff that's on the inside? I don't know, but maraschino is delicious and the only way to make a proper Hemingway daiquiri. Hmm. Well, if we consume 30 bottles of maraschino, maybe we'll die from cyanide poisoning or alcohol poisoning. (laughs) 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 Imagine getting fucking alcohol poisoning for ODing on fucking maraschino. You would definitely bomb (laughs) before you got the alcohol poisoning. I presume. Or have like going to diabetic shock. Totally. It's very sweet. Okay. Moving on. In the same vein, but different, but the same, but different, apple seeds mm. filled, filled with cyanide. Tiny, evil. So the thing about apple seeds is they're very bitter. And the reason for that is nature telling you to stop eating them. But if you feel like you want to kill yourself with apple seeds, you can eat 150 to several thousand. They don't really know for sure. when i eat an apple i eat the entire thing like including the core and the seeds except for the stem part well that's fine because you're not eating 150 i mean i eat like 150 apples at a time (laughs) so the seeds i don't know (laughs) if you ate 150 apples you would have gastric distress long before you had cyanide poisoning (laughs) i think i agree um also in the movie the never ending story bastion eats the entire apple while he's reading the story and i as a child had never seen such a thing before and i was completely shocked mm-hmm. yeah it's very crunchy down there in the middle in the core but i typically do it when i don't have like a garbage nearby i don't always do it but even when i don't i nibble so far down to that core i get really get down there and that goes for basically everything too it's not just yeah. apples anything that has something you're supposed to eat off of something like chicken or like a rib or like an apple plum pear nectarine whatever the fuck if there's something that i'm eating off something else i'm gonna get everything off of there that's a promise (laughs) and that is why i should be your next congressman (laughs) well those stone fruit seeds also have cyanide in them so be careful (laughs) um so this next one zara is gonna really upset you because this is your favorite food so unfortunately for you Uncooked kidney beans can kill you. <laughs> I know that. I read that this weekend when I was looking up like stuff for this episode and I was making kidney beans and like one or two of them like didn't get cooked all the way. And so I was like freaking the fuck out. Yeah. So I thought I was going to kill my family accidentally. This is why so you my- shouldn't ever do an episode like this because you have hypochondria. But um, so uncooked kidney beans, your favorite food. Um, my favorite. Your favorite snack. Love them. Um, contain lectins which is called an anti-nutrient but essentially what that means is it prevents you from absorbing any other nutrients so it probably won't kill you actually if you eat like a bunch of uncooked kidney beans once again gastric distress will probably prevent you from eating enough to kill you right because how many uncooked kidney beans could you possibly ingest 
without I having mean, a tummy I, ache. Do you remember <laughs> a very bad tummy ache? Do you remember that show that was like my weird obsession or whatever the fuck? Something on like TLC and people would like eat couches and stuff, cars, all mirrors and all kinds of things. Pictures yeah, off their wall. That guy made a bed. Or yeah, he ate a shoes. Bed. He made uh, a bed rugs, and then he ate it. Chairs, paintings. I'm just looking at things around my apartment. Buddhas, a record player. But, um... If people eat that, I can't see why they wouldn't eat a bunch of dried kidney beans. I mean, sure. I think people do a lot of shit. There's mad people in this world. That's the thing. Nobody has reportedly died of kidney beans. But oh, thank Jesus. rats do die of uncooked kidney beans pretty quickly. Wow. Well, Apparently, let that you, be a lesson to you, to all our rat listeners. So if you have a rat problem, don't use those poison things. Just leave out a bunch of uncooked kidney beans and hope oh, that they can't find any other food around. That is smart. <laughs> yeah, that is smart. Funny. Um, okay, moving on to my favorite food, which is also unfortunately poisonous, unripe elderberries. <laughs> Duh, again. <laughs> All my favorites are just being mixed out one after the other. No, it's very sad. Um, so the big problem with unripe elderberries is that it has a double whammy of cyanide and lectins. So it's got the cyanide issue and the lectins thing, so you can't absorb nutrients. Um and now I feel like it's a good time to mention the symptoms of cyanide poisoning because I've already mentioned it a couple of times and I feel like people need to know if they have it, you know, sure. public service. So if you have cyanide poisoning, you will have a rapid heartbeat, cramps, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, hallucinations, convulsions, and you'll go into a coma. But like not all need to be present. I have all that except for coma. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And vomiting. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that when I listed all these symptoms. Off. You did? Yes. I'm predictable. My humor is like, I, it's almost as though I've done this before. Also, when I mention cyanide or think about cyanide, um, or maybe it's arsenic. I guess I can't remember. It's probably arsenic. But in the uh, Flowers in the Attic book. Oh, yeah. The grandmother poisons the children by giving them cyanide or arsenic covered donuts. And it slowly builds up in your system and then it kills you. What is that, V.C. Andrews, Flowers in the Attic? Yeah, there's also the movie Arsenic and Old Lace. Oh, yeah, I always thought it was Arsenic and Old Lace. <laughs> no, it's Old Lace. It's like Ew. Cary Grant's aunts are actually murderers, and they murder people with arsenic. Oh, oh. It's a really great comedy movie. It's great. Great, um, I love Cary Grant. Moving on. Nutmeg. Super dangerous. Be careful this holiday season, okay, everyone? (laughs) Everyone with your pumpkin spice fucking lattes. Yeah. Technically, nutmeg can get you high. So remember when we were kids, people tried to smoke nutmeg to get high? Yeah, I smoked everything. I smoked, like, tea. I fucking took shots of Sprite. I mean, really, just (laughs) starting young. But yes, we smoked nutmeg as well. Um, So technically, you actually can get high, but the amount that you would have to consume to get high would hospitalize you first. Um, right. So what nutmeg contains is myristicin. I'm definitely saying that, right? Totally. And it affects your central nervous system. And the same, the peyote has a very similar reaction to your body. <clears throat> oh, wow. But peyote is much more like you could take smaller quantities and have the same thing happen. So, basically, in order to consume enough nutmeg, it would be insane. So, But there are a couple of case studies in which a woman reportedly had nausea, dizziness, heart palpitations, dry mouth, but no hallucinations. 
And Hmm. they couldn't figure out what what was wrong with her. And then eventually it came out that she had consumed 50 grams of nutmeg in a milkshake right before she reported all of these things. (laughs) What? The fuck is... Are you serious? (laughs) Look, if you take 50 grams of anything, that's going to be a problem. 50 grams of nutmeg? Yeah. Why? In a milkshake. You know, so that's like a big dairy day. That was the first pumpkin spice, like, latte. That was like Starbucks's, (laughs) like, pre... Like, you know, whatever. But then another woman reportedly 37 year old woman had hallucinations in addition to all those other symptoms. And she only had two teaspoons of nutmeg, about 10 grams of nutmeg. That's still a lot. Two teaspoons of nutmeg is a lot. My grandma was allergic to nutmeg. Good story. In case you were wondering. (laughs) (laughs) Um, moving on to my actual favorite food, potatoes. So old ass potatoes that are turning green are actually silent but deadly. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks for laughing at that. Uh, they contain something called solanine. Solanine. I don't know, but basically, it's from their exposure to light, which starts makes them produce chlorophyll. Um, but that's bad because then the solanine comes into play. So essentially, if you do have a potato that's turned green, as long as you cut all the green parts off, you can still eat it. But if you do eat a green potato, you can have diarrhea, fever, or hypothermia, headache, Whoa. slow pulse, stomach pain, and vomiting. Oh my goodness! Just from a green potato, you know that's that explains a lot, though. It's, Not for me personally, but yeah, for folks around the world, uh, you know, eating green potatoes. I think a lot of people probably do that. I've definitely done it before. Hmm. Well, don't don't do it anymore. I won't. I'm going to stop right now. But uh, also it. Would not probably kill you, I would say, as a doctor. Right, it would have to be really green. Like, so green, we were like, I shouldn't eat this potato. It's so fucking green. Yeah. All right, rounding out the list here, we have mangoes. Dude, I'm allergic to mangoes, but only the pit. When I nibble on the pit, which I do like to do, and I, like, almost never learn my lesson, and so I just have to stay away from fresh mangoes altogether. I mean, if you were, like, invite me over, you're like, Z, I made some mango salsa for this fucking, I don't know, swordfish I'm preparing. I'd be like, great. Who, but I can't have one in the house. This scenario? Like, Someone in the 1990s, your Meg Ryan in the 1990s <laughs> having a dinner party. Or my, or my mom on any given night. She makes that all the time. Never make um, salsa. But um, I'm just saying, if you did, I'd eat it. But I can't have mangoes in the house because I can't resist nibbling on the pit. Yet, it makes my whole mouth and face break out in itchy rash. Yeah, so my dad also can't eat melons because he gets an itchy tongue from it. Um, but Ooh. Ooh. the thing about mangoes is that they are... So dangerous, not just because of the risk of biting into an unripe one, which I hate the texture of an unripe mango personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have something called urushiol, U R U S H I O L. I don't know how to pronounce that. Urushiol. Urushiol. Bye bye bye. But it, the other plant that has that in it is poison ivy. That's it. That explains so much because I'm also allergic to poison ivy and the rash that I got from eating the mango pit is very similar to poison ivy. It's like mm-hmm. a little bumpy. That's so interesting. So you can avoid this if you only eat the flesh and you avoid the skin, the bark, or the leaves, and presumably the pit. I, yeah. The website didn't mention that, but it seems logical. Sure. Uh, since the pits of all the other foods have cyanide in them. 
Right. Wow. That is so right. Because like, even last year I was like, like during the winter, cause there's no nice like local fruits during the winter here in the Northeast. I was like, all right, well I'll kind of like nibble a little bit of mango. And I just, you know, flew too close to the sun on wings of pastrami. And I ended <laughs> up like getting, I think the rash from the skin one day. Cause I was, I was nibbling the skin. I knew not to nibble the pit, but I nibbled on the skin, getting every last bit out. Well, the skin in some people is, makes them have an allergic reaction. Yeah. Me is one of them. Um, congratulations. I have diagnosed you, <laughs> um, as having no self-control. that is true in every sense of the word okay last one are you ready sure asparagus is deadly no just kidding this is a lie but the article was like asparagus don't eat it it's dangerous but the truth is that the stems are perfectly edible and safe but they the plant itself makes berries and those are poisonous so even if you just eat a handful of those berries, you can start vomiting and diarrhea all over the place. They're really highly just spraying diarrhea food. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Just like at your brunch party, you're like, guys, I made this asparagus quiche. But I take one bite, spray diarrhea all over your friends. Well, why would I have asparagus berries in my quiche? Because you like collected them when you went to go pick it and you so thought like I would add wild, some flavor. Well, so in this scenario... I'm, I'm someone who makes mango salsa in the first scenario. In the second scenario, I'm someone who wildly forages for asparagus. Yeah, you're maturing. Look, you own a home. I, <laughs> I, it seems like a natural progression. I don't own a home. I rent. You rent and own a big whole home, though. I, a rent, home. I rent to own. <laughs> <laughs> I got this house from Rent-A-Center. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, Wow, that's very scary. I'm chilled. To, I'm chilled to the core. Yeah, you should be. Is that it? Do we have any more? No, that's it. Let's take a fucking break. Everybody, relax. Calm down. Uh, please put down that fistful of asparagus berries you're about to eat. And <laughs> right after the break, we'll be back. Okay, bye. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. In Wisconsin. Cheese is our thing. Wisconsin is the only state in the country that requires a license to make cheese. From curds to cheddar, blue to brick, Wisconsin cheesemakers can do it all. We blend tradition with innovation to create an incredible variety of cheeses that you just can't get anywhere else. You've heard of a PhD, but have you heard of a PH cheese? Otherwise known as the Wisconsin Master Cheesemaker Program. This rigorous study of cheese is an elite accomplishment earned by only 80 talented cheesemakers in Wisconsin, and the program is only one of two in the world. Becoming a master cheesemaker takes 13 years and is basically like a doctorate in a specific variety of cheese, with intense requirements to succeed. Our master cheesemaker program allows makers to perfect both the art and science of their craft in a tradition so rich you can taste it. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. And guess what, folks? We are back. And do I have a story for you? Oh, now, my God. Nicole, I told you the other day that I was going to do the story of blowfish. Mm-hmm. Adorable, spiky, puffy, but really not a lot more to know about blowfish than if you eat 
their liver or the other parts of their insides, you'll die immediately from like asphyxiation. It's a terrible death. Yet some people still feel like they need to do it just for like the thrill. I don't understand it. And I'm not going to tell any, any of you anything about it. Instead, I'm going to tell you about a squad of white men in the turn of the century called the Poison Squad. <laughs> dun, dun. Great. I can't <laughs> okay, so I love learning about white men. It's very interesting. Who doesn't? Um, so I got all my information today. Most of this came and like trickled down from like this <laughs> book, then turned to a documentary called The Poison Squad, One Chemist's Single-Minded Crusade for Food Safety at the Turn of the 20th Century by Deborah Blum. And then I also read a long-form article based on that by called The Poison Squad, An Incredible History, and Esquire by Bruce Watson, um, an interview an eater with Deborah Blum by Jaya Saxon. And a very funny and very informative episode of one of my favorite podcasts, The Dollop, um, number 394, if anyone wants to listen to that for a better researched version of the story I'm about to tell. <laughs> so We're just going to give you a little preview. Exactly. The year is 1902. The, only, the most interesting thing I was able to find out that happened here in 19, well, actually not even here, 1902, is that on February 18th, the opera, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, premieres in Monte Carlo. Oh, that is not here, though. <laughs> no, it's not here, and it's really not that notable. But I feel like um, it's a big deal, opera. It is. I mean, I there's a hunchback, and he's hunching also, around Notre, Notre Dame. Notre Dame burned to the ground, Sarah. I know. That so was very sad. I've been there. It was beautiful. Sorry. I'm sorry. Um, okay. So what does it, this is ripped straight from the headlines feeder. What does it take to get the American government to care about its citizens more than corporations? It's a dilemma that activists have been churning over for centuries, but one chemist in the early 1900s thought he had the answer. Aww, he systematically he poisoned a bunch of strapping young white men. Um, so basically we're going to talk about this gentleman and we'll get into it in a minute, but like there's... Pros and cons to his research, and we'll discuss them <laughs> afterwards. Okay. But um, essentially, not to spoiler this entire thing, this is about the founding of the FDA. So oh, this person's no. research led to the FDA, which also has pros and cons. Many cons. Many cons, but also there has to be some kind of regulation and oversight about what people are eating. Because before there was an FDA, there was no regulation and people were getting, the citizen, particularly poor citizens, were getting completely screwed. They were getting screwed because the corporations were making shitty food, though. Exactly. But there was no oversight. There was no regulation to say you can't make shitty food. Right, 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 right. right? That's why so there the turn all of the, like, parasites and... Hard, I mean, worse things. So at the turn diet, of the 20th... Everything you can imagine. At the turn of the 20th century, so basically the post-industrial revolution, before the industrial revolution, folks are, you know, eating at home. They're farming. They're getting stuff from their friends who are farmers. Industrial revolution happens. People start kind of like moving more to urban areas. It's very difficult to get food. So um, food starts getting mass produced. There's been a lot of coverage of this, of which we'll get into later. I did an episode about um, Upton Sinclair's book, The Jungle, in a very, like, earlier episode, and that would be a good kind of, well, I mean, you, if anyone hasn't read The Jungle, it's very interesting, uh, especially if you're interested in food in this country at all, or socialism. Um, at the turn of the 20th century, American food producers could get away with putting 
basically anything in their food. Milk had chalk and formaldehyde in it. Um, canned food had salicylic acid, borax, and copper sulfate. Salicylic and producers- acid is fine, though. That's just aspirin. Right, but, like, you probably don't want to eat, like, a shit ton of it. <laughs> I don't want to. Right. No one had a headache. It was great. Producers sold corn syrup as honey and colored lard as butter, <laughs> and there were no laws or consequences to false labeling. So, like, all food was fake. And, you know, it, it like, kind of still is, which is the thing about, like, the, the failings of the FDA, right, is that, like, you can still slap these, like, buzzwords on things, and there's almost no meaning to it. But exactly. at least there's, yeah. Like the Olean episode. Exactly. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm not pro FDA. It's just like, I do believe in like, if we are going to pay fucking taxes, that there should be some government oversight into trying to protect people from corporations. You know what I mean? Like who the fuck else is, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but the but FDA it's a flawed is, system. like the, they get paid out. and they're- Right. Well, lobbying is obviously a horrible problem. In S, in theory, it would be great to have regulation over what people eat. Obviously, it's not working. People are eating tons of stuff that is fake and killing them and giving them cancer and making them, you know, overweight in ways they don't want to be and maybe naturally shouldn't be. Whatever. It's a problem. But I'm just saying, I think like it would be great if there was a way to stop corporations from ripping off the public. Right. I'm sure we could agree on that. Unfortunately, it's a system that has gone by the gone a bit wayward, um, to say the least. So part of um, what was going on in this time was part of a progressive movement in the late 19th and early 20th century. You could start start seeing people pushing back against the Gilded Age, big corporations and a horrible treatment of workers, which also plays in today's society, but, um, you know, as with then, that's like the little guy and often our voice gets stomped out. So the, as the progressive movement starts like pushing forward, food safety was a part of that. And Upton Sinclair, have you ever read The Jungle, Nicole, by Upton Sinclair? Yeah, I it's think about, you had to read it in high school, don't you? Yeah, it's about like, for anyone who hasn't read it, it really is point, shines a light on not only the practices in the meatpacking um, and slaughterhouses in that in the turn of the century, but also in the treatment of workers. Um, So Upton Sinclair's main point in the jungle was to treat workers like they were human beings, which led to him writing The the Jungle. Teddy Roosevelt was a trust buster who thought trust monopolies were actually dangerous to American society. So that also plays part in everything. So 1902, um, the Agriculture Department's chief chemist, Dr. Harvey Washington Wiley, referred to this project that he started which he meant as he were eating poison and as the hygienic table trials. But after like a little while, a couple of months they were doing it, the Washington Post um, came up with a name for them called the Poison Squad. And that stuck. That's way better. Yeah. There was a basement in the ag- agriculture department's offices in Washington, D.C. Um, and they had their own chef who's known as Perry. And he would cook up things like chicken, potatoes, asparagus, and not asparagus berries, was it? Um, <laughs> and everything was of the highest quality, including the poison. So these poison squad, it was 12 young men, and they were tasked, and they would switch out, I think, like every two or three weeks. And they were tasked with trying some of the most commonly used food additives in order to determine the effects. So this guy, Dr. Wiley, had like previously been um, in you know, he was a chemist, he was in science, and he was, like, interested in trying to prove how this, he was, like, very against what 
you know, corporations were doing and like selling to people because people were eating all kinds of shit and they were getting sick. And so he's like, I want to prove that this is wrong. However, as I like very accurately point out in the dollop, and it's true, like this didn't have to be the method of doing it, right? right? Like, you know what I mean? Like you didn't have to make people sit. So there's something that's very kind of like sadistic about his methods and like just like totally unnecessary. But so during each of the Poison Squad trials, members would eat steadily increasing amounts of each additive, carefully tracking the impact it had on their bodies. They would stop when the members got very sick. Twelve young clerks, vigorous and voracious, were all graduates of the civil service exam, which was screened for high moral character and all had reputations for sobriety and reliability. Okay, cool. Amazing. Like, they sound like a bunch of squares to me. So square whites with, like, you know, ties, coats, whatever. I, I think, like, just young, like, college-age guys. Picture it. Pledging one year of service, promising only to eat food that was prepared in the poison squad's kitchen and waiving their right to sue the government for damages, including death, that might result from their participation in the program. They were not allowed to drink any water in between. They were not allowed to eat absolutely anything that wasn't prepared by the chef. Did they get paid? I, You know what? It really doesn't. Oh, yeah. Uh, it doesn't really say. I think I am sure. I'm sure they got paid. Okay. Um, You're sure you know, that they got paid. <laughs> the only thing that like makes me utmost confident that they were paid. happy about this though is that at least the trials were being done on like you know young white college educated men who like volunteered to do this and not like what we would probably think like people who were just picked off the street people of color unwilling people you know what I mean like not sure. that I'm not trying to defend it but at the very least it was like people who agreed to do this. Um, when one member got a haircut without permission, he was allegedly sent back to the barber with orders to collect his shorn hairs. <laughs> That's how like much control they wanted to have over it. Cause they wanted to test everything. Okay. Well, they should have mentioned that in the thing that they had to sign. Right. So Dr. Wiley was an extremely outspoken misogynist and he was referred <laughs> to, perf- he referred to women as savages, huh. savages. And, like, when I was listening to the dollop, one of the reasons he said that they were savage is because men had evolved to start loot. This is how this person is. I'm guaranteed he was probably bald. But he was, like, um, defending. He was saying that women were savage, quote, savage, because they had long hair and men had already started to, like, evolve. And in which the evolution process for men included, like, losing their hair because we didn't need it anymore. Women were also going bald in 1902. He's like, women had long hair and they liked, like, bright colors. So that's why they were savages. <laughs> okay. I mean, anyway. That is, so he claimed... This guy claimed, is... Sounds great. He's awesome. He will feed you poison. He will uh, make you take your shoes off before you get in the kitchen. So he was unmarried, is what you're telling me. Well, we'll find out later who he ends up marrying. So Dr. Riley <laughs> um, also claimed they lacked the brain capacity of men. His uh, well, staff true. was similar... I mean, of course, we all know that from Anchorman. His staff was similarly inclined when the program replaced Chef Perry with female cook. One worker griped that, griped that ladies were not fit for cooking or poisoning. I beg to differ. Woo-hoo. There's a lot of very capable w- women poisoners yes. out there. Very well documented. But also, who was cooking that man's food if it wasn't a woman? Like, that man. They had a male chef and then they got not- a woman chef. No, but I'm saying, like, that man's food outside of work. Like, 
Oh, I don't his know. I guess he went home and cooked for himself. Cook for him, like in the 1800s. This doesn't make any sense. It's unbelievable. A wo- quote, a woman can potter around a domestic hearth, but when it comes to frying eggs in a scientific mode and putting formaldehyde in the soup, <laughs> never. Well, okay, but that's true because it is true that for a long time, professionally speaking, women were not allowed to be chefs either. They were only like considered home cooks and that wasn't a profession and male chefs were the only ones. So like they were just going along with the times. Right. Well, yes, yes, yes. Officially, the goal was to investigate the character of food preservatives, coloring matters, and other substances added to food to determine if their relation to digestion health and to establish the principles which should guide their use. Unofficially, Wiley hoped to use the table trials as a springboard to enact widespread food regulation. So just to remind everybody that in the turn of the century, when we're talking about regulation, this was like because everyone was getting away with everything. And this is like the rise after the industrial revolution of like cutthroat, rugged individualism of corporation. I mean, it's bad today and it was just as bad then, but nobody had any idea. I mean, now people have an idea, but they turn a blind eye. Um, But so like, I will defend that one part is that there was like a need for consumer protection in a lot of ways. And there had been nothing until then to to provide consumers, the American public, with anything that could protect them. They had some stuff that was being done on a state level, but it was very disorganized. So there had been no federal protection for the citizens of this country against corporations. So I can agree with that. Um, Wiley's first target was borax, one of the most common food preservatives in 1902. We now use borax to like, I think, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure you use borax to like clean your bathtub and stuff now. No, I mean, borax is a naturally occurring ingredient and you can actually use it as a vaginal suppository to like regulate your ph so it's not like interesting super poisonous i think you also can clean your bathtub with it i'm pretty sure sure you can or your vagina but vagina bathtub not great to put in food don't eat it um so it tightens up animal proteins giving the impression of freshness hence (laughs) the vagina so i need to Um, use that for my face Exactly. Consequently, Packers often use it to doctor decomposing meat. From 1902 (laughs) to July 1903, Wiley ate it with every meal. It was demonstrated on a Christmas menu published by the Poison Squad's Kitchen, quote, this is the menu, applesauce, borax, soup, borax, turkey, borax, borax, canned string beans, sweet potatoes, white potatoes, turnips, borax, chipped beef, cream, gravy, cranberry sauce, celery, pickles, rice pudding, milk, bread, butter, tea, coffee, a little borax. That was their Christmas dinner. That is, that sounds fine. I would eat all that. You would? Even the borax? Sweet potatoes and white potatoes? Both. I know, and like bread, for, white bread for dessert. I guess you have like the sweet potato thing with the you know, marshmallows on top, and then you have mashed potatoes. So that makes sense. To me, this sounds more like Thanksgiving, but what do I know? Wiley became popularly known as, quote, old borax. Before <laughs> long, the group determined that borax did indeed cause headaches, stomach aches, and other digestive pains in addition to imparting an unpleasant flavor to food. The poison squad <laughs> moved on to the test other common additives, including sulfuric acid, saltpeter, and formaldehyde. 
One of their targets, copper sulfate, was especially disturbing, used by food producers to turn canned peas a bright shade of green. It also caused a host of health woes, including nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, liver damage, kidney damage, brain damage, and jaundice. Today, it is commonly used as a pesticide. Yes, can you imagine getting brain damage from a can of peas? So unfair. I could because they're so yucky. Um, High-paid lobbyists from the packing and canning industries went on the offense of shutting down each of Wiley's proposed bills. Lobbyists could suppress Wiley's findings, but they couldn't control newspapers, which breathlessly reported on the group's menus, members, its poisons, and their effects. This guy had a great PR team. He had an amazing PR team, and it is the power of the free and independent press, which we no longer really have, to report these kinds of things. I mean, who knows if they were free and independent back then? I think there was probably a lot of arguments that they weren't. But what's interesting is, were they also reporting on how his subjects were getting brain damage from their scientific studies? (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they were very pro him or against him, but he was using the press to get, like, past lobbyists, which I appreciate. Again, this is a very complicated issue because there's many things that, like, I can find positive. Yeah. Like I find like positive and like, uh, you know, altruistic about this project, but also like we know that the FDA is problematic and I don't know. The whole thing is, is, and he's a misogynist also. Um, Afraid that the press might trivialize his efforts while he tried to stem the tide, insulting, I'm sorry, instituting a blackout and threatening to fire any member of the squad who leaked information. The squad. the, the squad. suicide squad. The fucking was, AOC was in this in this thing. No, um, the this, suicide squad. I was talking about the movie, not the squad. From I the, know, yeah. okay, I know. Sorry. You're talking about your favorite actor, Jared Leto. This didn't Margot keep stories from, <laughs> from appearing in the papers. Um, denied access to the facts. Reporters printed rumors and made up elaborate tales. So, freedom of a free press. Um, JK. Eventually, Wiley relented and began to actively publicize the squad. He later bragged, quote, my poison squad laboratory became the most highly advertised boarding house in the world. <laughs> what? what are you talking about? <laughs> Just that, like, people, I guess, were staying there for free and I guess getting poisoned. a self-importance issue. He, I mean, we can definitely agree on that. Okay, so then somebody wrote a song about the poison squad, which I'm going to try to sing. No. The poison squad also memorialized in songs and advertisements. The most song was probably the song of the Pizen Squad by poet S.W. Gillian, a poem that exaggerated the squad's exploits. Um, on pyrosuric acid, we break our fast. We lunch on a morphine stew. We dine on matched consomme. We drink calbaric acid brew. Corrosive sublimate tones us up like laundrium ketchup rare. This makes no sense. <laughs> While tyrotoxin condiments are wholesome as mountain air. Thus, all the deadlies we double dare to put us beneath the sod. We're death immunes. We're proud as proud. Hooray for the peas and squad. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. This is the second episode where you've broken the rule of singing during the episode. So <laughs> I can't be stopped. If you're going to be continuing with this, I'll have to take my leave. <laughs> All um, right, done. But this guy probably has it right. These guys are annoying and elitist and, you know, of above average health because they're white and they went to college or whatever, and they are like, look at us, we eat sulfuric acid all the time. Exactly. Well, this is definitely, like, again, going back to, like, the negative parts of this, like, you know, um, this guy is obviously, um, 
he's obviously a narcissist, you know what I mean? And I feel like he's doing this because it's like going to get attention and maybe he has an intention. I, I do believe he's interested in it in the first place, probably to like, you know, do the right thing, I guess. But it seems that the, (laughs) it is a great movie, but there's no reason to be like, these, even for this time, all that time ago at the turn of the century, you didn't need to go about it like this. No, just go to the World's Fair, man, and, like, it's going to be fine. Yeah, it's <laughs> super weird. So, in the pro- uh, un- in 1906, Congress passed the Meat Inspection Act and the Pure Food and Drug Act, the first federal laws aimed at food regulation. The Pure Food and Drug Act was, like, very important. Look it up. Um, in the process, Wiley also had to cede his bully pulpit to the biggest bully of them all, Teddy Roosevelt. Although the Pure Food and Drug Act was originally known as the Wiley Act, Roosevelt took full credit for its passage, leaving Wiley in the cold. Uh, I think that's fine. Um, yeah, well, the Poison Squad closed up in 1907, and Wiley left the Agricultural Department in 1912, moving to become the head of testing for good housekeeping. Sure. <laughs> A misogynist gets to be the head of good ca- housekeeping. Thanks for nothing. He knows early that those 1800s. savages like bright colors. So that's true. He's like, this will look perfect. Look at this taffeta. And if there was some irony um, in a famous misogynist becoming the public face of one of America's most prominent women's publications, it was only added in the fact that in 1911 he married Anna Kelton, a suffragette who was literally half his age. A suffragette. Yeah, a suffragette. Well, hopefully she converted him. A lot of guys will convert for the poon. <laughs> Well, good for them. Um, <laughs> God bless. Also, I mean, there's just a happy couple. so many movies about how, like, what we do to meat now is not good for you. And, like, what they do to McDonald's food is bad for us. And It's horrible. I mean, it's been horrible. We put in drugs that we're supposed to take all the time is not... There's the F, none of this is good. Don't trust the government. Hide all your money in your mattress and, you know... Be if the, the government grade. in this country, which we know doesn't work, did work the way it's supposed to, it would protect citizens from corporations. Unfortunately, that's not what's happening. It didn't happen really probably that much then, although there were changes made then. And now, obviously, it's not. I mean, the things that are allowed to be in food and drugs now are horrible. And it's scary and upsetting. And they just kind of continue to kind of like skirt around, um, you know, legalities and I mean, all you nomenclature and look up the baby formula scandal from the eighties, which then oh my they God. still continue Ooh, we to cover give, that. Yeah, we should do that because they didn't continue to sell that baby formula in Africa to present day. Totally. I mean, look at the Lidmite. Look, this isn't like a perfect, it's not perfect. And, but I do think there was altruistic intentions in the beginning of it. And I do think that I like, think you have a crush on War- Wiley. <laughs> I love Wiley. I love Noah Wiley. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> as I mentioned last week, my favorite cast member from ER, Noah Wiley, did all of this. No, but I just like you know they're ha- like, what's the alternative? I mean, I, I it's a broken system. We could talk about this forever, but we can't just like not have anything. I mean, whatever. It's very upsetting. It's enough to make you pull your hair out. Um, by enough all account- to make you flee and start your own farm, like people did, like the whites did in the seventies. That's true. We should do that right now. But I mean, it is a good, you know, but then the shitty part is that, well, 
farmers well, markets take food stamps like, and stuff. No, so. you can't even buy a farmhouse in Vermont for anything less than like forty million dollars. So we can't even. Literally, everything's too expensive, and it's we can't to the point flee. where all I want to do is hide in my closet. I can't even think I, about the world. Let's I, not go down this path. I can't even flee and microdose on rhubarb leaves. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start fucking nibbling rhubarb leaves. So, by all accounts, um, Wiley and his wife lived a happy life. They had two sons. They were married until he died in uh, 1930. Um, Damn. And today they're buried together at Arlington National Cemetery. Um, In Washington? Yeah. Well, I mean, he was the head of the agriculture department for a long time, so he got buried at Arlington. So he was referred to as the father of the FDA. So um, this woman who wrote this... um, book and that's now a uh a movie that I really want to watch I think it's on P- PBS maybe yeah I think it's streaming on PBS but um her name is um Blum Norma Deborah Blum um so Deborah Blum goes on to say in an interview that she doesn't eat her which I thought was interesting interesting she says quote 100 million guinea pigs which was written by a consumer protect protection advocates in the 1930s when there was 100 million people in the United States. They made the point that the way our system works uh, is that the American people are the guinea pigs. And when people die, when people get sick, when problems arise, when the government, then the government responds. That really hasn't changed all that much. We sadly still operate on that simple, on that principle. Yeah, and immediately, <laughs> right. And immediately after the law is passed, the government works behind the backs of the consumers to make sure that the industry is accommodated in all the consumer protections. So it's, you know, as you mentioned straight out of the gate, the FDA is, you know, unfortunately no longer with us. But in theory, it would be great to know that there was someone looking out for what the fuck people were eating. Um, but that's that's the problem is that the, I don't know you know, food corporations. Is the solution. I think destroying the government is the best solution. Right. But if we are going to have a government and we are going to pay taxes to the government, I would expect them to uncorruptly have some regulation <laughs> over what people are fucking allowed to okay. eat. I'm sorry, if anything. <laughs> I think that's not too much to ask. It's just laughable, laughably optimistic. But yeah, I know. Nothing's going to ever happen that's good. So it's fine. But listen, um, I would like to look this young as long as I live, too. But it's not going to happen. You might. You have great skin. I feel like it's possible. No, for I was you. fishing for a compliment. Thank God. Um, Nicole, do you want to talk quickly before we get off here about our three favorite poisons? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I've already listed my two, which are cyanide, arsenic. And then my third favorite poison would probably have to be um, the banned poison. Okay, amazing. I'm going to go with poison ivy from batman returns oh yeah she's great i mean that movie sucks and also uma thurman not a good she's bad enough but okay love i ivy. disagree i think that movie is amazing it's i love amazing. it it reminds me it reminds me so much like if i'm to think back like some of my happiest memories are thinking about like my dad i would go with him every sunday like i would he would take me on sundays and mondays or whatever and the rest of the week i was with my mom and we'd always go to a movie and it would always be like usually in the Smith Haven mall. And it was like nineties blockbusters, you know, totally. like, but that, that was just such is... a fucking nineties blockbuster. And it sticks out of my head, like a Pepsi, which I don't even like, but it was always at the movie theater. 
like Pepsi, oh like Sour God, Patch Kids. Pepsi, that's an yeah. abomination. Pepsi, I know, but like it just really brings me back there. And if I had to think, like, I mean, Jurassic Park is up there, of course. Well, um, now we're diverting ourselves. We're, we have to focus on poisons. But I well, think, Jurassic Park is going to play a, a point, uh, play a little role in my top three. So just relax. Hang on a second. Oh, okay. My second favorite um, poison is Poison Pen, who is an amazing rapper. Okay. And my first favorite poison is the poison <sighs> that gets spit into oh. Newman's face in Jurassic Park. What about the poisonous plant that the rhinoceros eat? Or the, what is it? Brontosaurus? No, it's not a brontosaurus. Where she Tr- digs through the poop. Oh, t- Triceratops. And then Jeff Goldblum is like, you will remember to wash your hands before you eat anything because he has to mansplain washing Everything. the hands to a doctor. Um, that's my photo of you. When you call me, it's Laura Dern, like, searching through the, the poop. Um, the poop. I'm not kidding. I swear to God, I mean, that, that is the photo. Iconic. And Sam Neill is in there, too. Iconic. Yes. And also just a, a quick fact to bring this all full circle, Jeff Goldblum, short cameo in Annie Hall. Hilarious. Who is he in that? He's only in it for like five seconds. He's at that party they go to in LA and he's on the phone with someone talking about like some Hollywood shit. Oh, exactly that's right. When they go to Hollywood. Yeah. But there's also yeah. the Jeff Goldblum. He's in the movie, um, Hard to uh, Death Wish? No, no, no. He's in the movie where the 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 the, the seventies remake of um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Donald Sutherland. Oh, really? I've never seen that. Oh, it's so good. You should definitely watch it. It's either seventies it together. Either seventies or eighties. I definitely watched it during COVID, and he is like so skinny and like pimply in it, and it's really funny to see him. But um, yeah, that movie is so good. The remake is excellent okay great i'm gonna watch it tonight because i have i have some work to do so i'm gonna just throw that on in the background and scare myself to sleep (laughs) i'll have to be better than the way i went to sleep last night okay and folks thank you for joining us for this long long episode about poison long i hope you had fun boring interesting at times come on it was boring and interesting. You know what? You're right. It was it can't all be (laughs) i tell you like it is i'm a straight shooter (laughs) You know when to hold them and you know when to fold them. Yeah. That's what I like about you. I do. You're a real gambler. Yeah, I really am. All right. On that note, um, RIP Kenny Rogers and Asla Basta. Bye-bye. Bye. Life's Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.